Praise God. Let's go to the Word this morning. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 for our master text. For those of you that are still getting familiar with your Bibles, um, Ecclesiastes, if you can find the book of Psalms, turn right, you'll run into Proverbs, and then after that is Ecclesiastes. So it's close to the middle of your Bibles. And we're going to read from chapter 3 when you find that. So I'm going to give you a minute to find it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And when you find that, would you join me in standing to honor the reading and the proclamation of God's holy, perfect, and majestic word? Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Let's keep reading through verse 8. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And as um, our title indicates there from this master text, the key verse there is verse 4. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, in this text that we just read, we see that there's a, a time and a place for everything, right? Notice in that reading that it also says there's a time to be silent, but there's also a time to speak up. There's also a time for peace, and there's a time for war. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that we're not living in a time of peace right now. We're living in a time of war. There may not be guns and tanks and planes invading our cities, uh, but there is another kind of enemy invasion taking place, and it's happening in the realm of the spirit as well as in the realm of the political and social upheaval that we're seeing today. And during times like this, you know, it's not time for our usual times of relaxation and recreation. It's during times like this that we have to recognize what we're up against and take up arms spiritually right now, as well as anything else that we can do um, to make a difference. And that means, very often, ladies and gentlemen, that we're going to have to sacrifice in some areas. In 1998, Disney came out with an animated movie called Mulan. How many of you have seen Mulan? Okay, there was a remake of Mulan uh, in, what was it, last year? You know, I haven't seen the remake, but as you probably know, the, uh, the storyline of that movie is that it's about a Chinese teenage girl who risks everything to disguise herself as a man so she could go to war and fight in place of her aging father who was being called into military service when the powerful Huns invaded China. Now, Mulan's household was enjoying uh, safety and peace until that announcement came and that peace of not only their household but of that entire society was shattered when that announcement came that their society had been invaded by this powerful force. And in, in response, at least 
one man in every household was to report for military service. Now, Mulan's aging father was no longer strong and agile, and they knew, the family knew, that if he reported for military service, he would probably never come back. But he could be exempt if there was a male in the household who could take his place. Now, Mulan didn't have any brothers. She was an only child in the story. So Mulan disguised herself and left home in the dead of night to report for military duty so her father wouldn't have to. So just as in the time of the Chinese monarchy and the Huns, there is a time for peace, and there's also a time to take up arms and fight. There's a time for dancing, but there's also a time for mourning. And we have to be able to discern what season that we're in. Now, let me say that there's nothing wrong with celebrating and having a good time, of course. There's a time and a place for that. But a person who is growing in the Lord, folks, doesn't have time for endless revelry. Amen. <laughs> can hear a pin drop when I said that. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely uh, America. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm speaking to American Christians who, who many of us don't have an understanding of that concept. But someone who is growing in the Lord doesn't have time for endless revelry. Because a person who is following the Lord knows that just as there is a time for laughing and dancing... Just as true as the fact that there's also a time for humbling oneself in a spirit of soberness. See, just like you can't live on ice cream and Twinkies all the time and be physically healthy, a Christian can't live on the goodies of God's kingdom, so to speak, and never concern oneself with seeking God more intensely in uh, seasons of mourning. And I'll explain what I mean by mourning uh, here as the teaching unfolds. So in uh, Psalm 126.5, there's an interesting verse that uh, speaks to the merits of self-denial. And it says, as you see there on the screen, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And in the context of that chapter, it's talking about the fortunes of Israel being restored after a long time of exile. A long time of there not being any sign that God was at work amidst his people. But then there came a day when the favor of God smiled on Israel again and their fortunes were restored. And, you know... It's talking there in that whole chapter in its context, if you read that chapter, it's talking about how some of the Israelites grieved during that time and no doubt prayed for uh, God to restore the fortunes of Israel and for his favor to uh, come upon the, the Jewish people again, for his favor to return to their land. And then one day it happened. It happened. And it's saying there in in that chapter, in that verse, that those who had sowed in tears all that time later reaped in joy as they saw the answers to their prayers come to pass. There was once a young Jewish woman who demonstrates that truth beautifully, and um, she sought God fervently in prayer and fasting, and for three days she ate no food nor drank any water 
as she sought God fervently for him to intervene in a perilous situation with her people. Well, that young Jewish woman's name, of course, was Esther. Yes, exactly. The story of Esther. And if you know that story, you know that Esther became a queen in a pagan land. And when the Jewish people were under the threat of death and annihilation... She called a fast of all the Jewish people living in that region and called for a really serious fast of no food and no water for three days. And because they sowed in tears like that, God heard their cries and he came through for them in miraculous fashion and they reaped in shouts of joy as they routed their enemies. Praise God. Now, folks, listen to me. Sometimes perilous times call for drastic measures. Listen, the lazy way most of us approach prayer these days is not going to be able to affect change in these perilous times. It's not going to be able to affect breakthrough in these perilous times. The lazy and sleepy ways that most American Christians, churchgoers, approach prayer. Some of you, for example, have had terrible situations with your kids, uh, situations that look like life or death. And when death is staring you in the face, it's time to sow in tears by grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar, so to speak, and not letting go until you have your answer. And fasting is one of the ways that we do that. So we're going to be talking about fasting this morning, the role of fasting and seeking God. That's our topic this morning. Aren't you excited that we're talking about fasting today? Woohoo! Yeah, hallelujah. Well, as uh, I've heard it said, a teaching like what I'm going to do today may not make you shout today, but it may make you shout later. As uh, that sitcom Monk, have you ever seen Monk? He, He used to say one of his favorite sayings is, you'll thank me later. You'll thank me later for this teaching. Fasting is not a topic that we typically get excited about, but if we do it as a lifestyle, you'll thank me later. Now, fasting, I want you to know, is an expression of humbling ourselves. It's an expression of humbling ourselves. Let me give you some biblical evidence of that. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, Daniel the prophet writes, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. Now, he fasted for three full weeks. Notice he used the word mourning. He was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I did not anoint myself with oil until the three weeks were completed. So he didn't eat any meat. He didn't eat any rich foods. He just basically subsisted off of vegetables and water for those three weeks during that time where he was intensely seeking God. Okay? So fasting then is a form of continual focused prayer that is different than our usual times of feasting. So one way we're instructed in the Word of God to seek God is with prayer and fasting from time to time. See, most people are on board with the prayer thing, but fasting, ah, maybe not so much. That's a, that's a different story for most people, isn't it? However, fasting, listen to this, fasting is one of the three things that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount is one of the three 
basic expectations of the Christ follower. Now, I've taught on this. This is probably my third time teaching on this. Um, so those of you that have been there for these previous teachings, you should know what those three things are. In, in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said there were three basic expectations of the Christ follower other than fasting. What are the other two? Giving's the other one, and, and prayer. Exactly. Good job. Giving and prayer. Fasting, prayer, and giving are, the, are three very basic expectations of the Christ follower. So it's in this way, these ways, that we position ourselves to receive more of God's grace and favor because we're aligning ourselves with the Spirit of God, you see, and allowing Him to more fully have His way in us. Now, I want to qualify something for a moment. Uh, I want to emphasize before we get too much further into this teaching that we don't fast to get brownie points from God. Just want to really make that very clear. See, remember our relationship status with God, as I talked about last week when we talked about prayer. Our relationship status with God has everything to do with His grace and nothing to do with our performance. You get that, right? However, we are instructed to fast because fasting is a time of putting aside our usual indulgences, you see, and training our bodies to be more responsive to the Spirit of God rather than allowing the cravings of our bodies to dictate our lives all the time. So for this reason, you, you'll probably find that as you deny your body what it craves in terms of food, you'll probably notice that you start gaining better control in other areas of your life, like maybe your temper, as an example. There's a, there's a carryover effect. See, fasting is a way we get our bodies into subjection to our spirits. I want to say that again. Fasting is a way that we get our bodies under subjection to our spirits. But as they'd like to say in those commercials on TV, but that's not all. <laughs> Fasting is also a way we amplify our prayers, if, you, if I could say it that way, and sense God's direction in perilous situations. So I want to give you an example in the scriptures about one of those perilous situations. So if, if you're in big trouble, fast and pray like Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did in this passage. So I'm going to read to you the first four verses out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And it says this, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. So there were, it was an alliance of three enemy armies that were ganging up on Judah. Verse 2, Then some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Jehoshaphat was alarmed and set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. So the people of Judah gathered to seek the Lord. And indeed, they came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. Now, why did I underline the, the little segment there that I underlined? Because... Fasting is synonymous with seeking God. When you're seeking God, part of seeking God from time to time will include times of fasting. You know, I once read somewhere that if you pray only when you're in trouble, you're already in trouble. <laughs> right? 
And if you do find yourself in a terrible situation, then it's definitely time to add fasting to your prayers like Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did. So fasting is a way of more intensely seeking God during certain seasons of our lives. But aside from fasting only in terrible situations, folks, periodic times of fasting needs to become a lifestyle. A lifestyle. That is, if you're truly interested in knowing God on a deeper level and and being used of Him in a greater way. Praise God. So I want you to understand that Every assignment from God on your life, every call of God on your life starts here with more intense times of prayer and fasting. Fasting is a way we present our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, consistent with Romans 12, 1 and 2, which tells us present your bodies as living sacrifices. And one of the ways that we do that is with fasting. You know, Fasting keeps us sensitive to God's Spirit, helping us to live holy and helping us to discern His perfect and pleasing will. So fasting, once again, is a way that we present our bodies as living sacrifices. And I want to point out that the Apostle Paul was fasting when God called him and gave him the assignment for his life. You'll see that in Acts chapter 9. Peter was fasting and praying on the rooftop when God gave him a vision to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and that's Acts chapter 10. So fasting prepares the way for God to give you a a fresh revelation, a fresh vision, and a clear purpose for your life. Praise God. Now, you've seen me, those of you that have been around for a while, you have seen me reference this book many times, and every time that I prepare to go on an extended fast, I always reread this book. So I've probably read this book a half a dozen times now because I'm just like you. My flesh doesn't like to fast. So I I get my spirit prepared for that. um, And I read this book. It's not a very long book, Fasting by Jensen Franklin. And I like the subtitle here. It says, Opening the Door to a Deeper, More Intimate, More Powerful Relationship with God. So I would encourage you, please read this book. He's got a lot of wonderful testimonies about what happens in their church. Um, They, like us, call for a fast the first part of every year among their whole congregation. Look at what he says. I'm convinced that we will never walk in the perfect will of God until we seek him through fasting. Notice he says perfect will of God. God does have a permissive will, but there's also a perfect will as well. So uh, starting uh, over from his quote, I'm convinced that we will never walk in the perfect will of God until we seek him through fasting. When you present your body in this manner, you open yourself up to hear from God. You will prove or discover God's perfect will for your life. Now, folks, some people wonder why they can never hear from God. They don't ever sense his voice or his direction in their lives, and they never connect it with fasting or should I say, the lack thereof. And as Jensen Franklin says here, fasting will position you to walk in the perfect and pleasing will of God rather than just bumping along all your life in a nebulous state of uncertainty, right? Like a lot of people do. Fasting will give you a clearer focus and a clearer vision for your life. As an example of that, when, when I wanted to uh, ask Donna to marry me, 
Before I did that, I fasted and prayed. See, marriage is a life-altering decision, right? And of course, uh, you know, it was a big decision I was about to engage in and asking her to marry me. And I didn't want to get it wrong. So I fasted and prayed. And 28 years later, we're still together and still doing well. Praise God. See, I think every major life decision needs to be bathed in prayer and fasting. And if we took that approach, we would make far less mistakes. So I want to give you a few other compelling reasons to fast here. We'll just kind of zip through some of these. First of all, if Jesus needed it, we need it. Hello. I think that's kind of an obvious truth. If Jesus needed it, we need it. See, the Son of God fasted because he knew that there were supernatural things that could only be released that way. I want to say that again. The Son of God fasted because he knew that there were supernatural things that could only be released that way. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So if Jesus fasted, he set the example, we too should fast. Next one is that fasting tends to raise awareness of the spiritual. Folks, do you realize that there is a realm, an unseen realm, outside of time and space? It's called the spiritual. And fasting helps us to become more aware of the spiritual, sharper in our awareness of the spiritual. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set our minds on things above. See, fasting helps to clear out the cobwebs, if you will, of earthly, worldly thinking. Have you ever suddenly awakened to a spiritual truth and then wondered how you could have been so ignorant for so long? Has that ever happened to anybody besides me? Okay. Well, that's part of what fasting does for you. It quickens your mind so that you can more easily discern things in the spirit. It quickens your mind and spirit so you can more easily discern things in the spirit. Also, next point. Fasting is a form of drawing near to God, which will result in him drawing nearer to us. I'm referencing James 4, 8 there, which says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, it's not that God is like up in heaven just kind of holding himself back from us. He's already made the first move. Jesus went to the cross, folks. He already made the first move. Now he's just waiting on us to respond. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And one of the ways that we do that is with fasting. Next benefit of fasting, fasting is an expression of spiritual hunger. Referencing Matthew 5, 6 here, Blessed are those, Jesus said, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Unless you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will never allow yourself to be physically hungry. Did you hear what I said? Unless you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will never allow yourself to be physically hungry. You know, just as having an abundance of food can make you physically lethargic at times, the same can happen spiritually 
if you're not careful. See, indulging the cravings of your body all the time makes a person carnal, controlled by the dictates of the lower earthly nature, the lower earthly appetites. A lot of Christians today are controlled by their lower earthly appetites. And a lot of people can't seem to get free of certain things. If you see that's happening, it's time to fast. It's time to fast. Dislodge those things. Praise God. But I also want to let you know on our next point here that fasting increases our faith. Fasting increases our faith. In Matthew 17, 17, 21, it says, but this kind, it's referring to demons, demonic oppression and possession. Uh, In the context of this, Jesus had cast a demon out of a young man, and the disciples came along later and said, well, why why couldn't we cast it out when we tried? And this was Jesus' answer, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And I've also heard that a little bit of a different spin put on that. In fact, I think it was Andrew Walmack who says it's referring to unbelief. This kind of unbelief does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a, of a side note on this. The newer English translations of the Bible don't include Matthew 17, 21. The, the old King James has it. Maybe the new King James has it. But some of the newer translations don't include Matthew 17, 21 because it seems pretty clear now as we learn more about these ancient scrolls and what have you um, and the historicity of the Bible. <clears throat> we, it seems pretty clear now that Matthew 17, 21 was added later after the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the original manuscript, was written. So many of the modern translators remove it because they don't feel it's inspired. Uh, However, I like what the New Living Translation does, and it actually leaves that verse in there, but then it footnotes it at the bottom. So I like that. Um, And while we may not be able to prove if that particular line was part of the original divine canon of Scripture, I think the message it sends is still consistent with the Bible's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. See, before Jesus began his public ministry, what did he do? He fasted. For 40 days. And it was during this time, folks, listen, it was during this time that the Son of God was being prepared to take on all the demonic forces of hell with ease. With ease, because he didn't have any problem with demons. No problem at all. He spoke, bam, and they responded. It was during that preparatory time of prayer and fasting out in the wilderness that he was being prepared to take on all the forces of hell with ease. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll notice that the early disciples picked right up where Jesus left off by continuing to perform miracles. And they too, by the way, made fasting a lifestyle. Folks, I think there's a connection there. If you want to increase your faith, make fasting a regular part of your spiritual disciplines. Praise God. Now, I want to point something out here. It's not all or nothing. You know, some people mistakenly believe that if they can't do a 40-day Jesus fast, they're not going to fast at all. Uh, But almost anyone can do a Daniel fast where you just eat vegetables and drink water. Because you're still getting some sustenance, right? Almost anyone can do that. 
So eliminating only a few foods, folks, may not seem that meaningful to some people. But look, if it means something to you, it means something to God. And the reverse is also true, by the way. In other words, if your fast doesn't sacrifice something that is meaningful to you, then your fasting won't be meaningful to God. It reminds me of a, a story in the Old Testament when uh, King David wanted to buy the threshing floor of a man named Aruna because uh, he uh, wanted to, to build an altar there for a special sacrifice that he wanted to give to the Lord. Well, Aruna was honored that the king would even want to buy some of his property for that purpose, so he just offered to give it to him. But King David rejected that offer. See, he knew, King David did, he knew if it cost him nothing, then it wouldn't be a meaningful sacrifice to the Lord. So he insisted on paying Aruna the full value of the threshing floor. And folks, the same should be true of our fasting. If it costs us nothing, then very little, if anything, will come out of it. But a true sacrifice will yield a true reward. See, I've noticed that when my body is suffering through fasting, for example, my spirit is getting stronger. Now, on that note, I want to give you a little heads up about something. Uh, don't be surprised when you begin your fast for everything to start getting on your nerves at first. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, see, your body is uncomfortable and it will rebel at first. See, your body thinks it's in control. If you haven't trained it through fasting, your body thinks it's in, in control. I'll tell you when to eat. I'll tell you how much to eat. I'll tell you what to eat. I'll tell you when to go to bed. I'll tell you when to get up. I'll, I'll dictate every nuance of your life if you let me. Okay? So your body's going to rebel against this at first. And the people in your household may become your enemies if you're not careful. Because things start to annoy you more than they usually do while your body adjusts to that. So I want to warn you about that if you've never fasted. Because again, your body and your emotions will fight that process at first. Until you train it, um, no, you're not the boss of me. Right? Praise God. And by the way, this is another reason why we fast. So we can train our bodies to be in subjection to our spirits. Hallelujah. See, if, if you set out to fast for one day and your body just fights you tooth and nail through that process, just tell it, okay, fine, we're going to go second day. And your body starts to fight you through that process a little bit. And it's like, okay, fine, we'll go third day. But by the third or fourth day, your body learns to shut up. Okay, you're training your body when you fast. So when you fast, don't give in to the temptation to feel sorry for yourself because you're fasting. Just go on with business as usual. And, and for that, you will receive a reward, which leads us to our last point today. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stated in Matthew 16, uh, 6 rather, Matthew 6 verses 17 through 18, but when you fast, it didn't say if you fast, it said when you fast. Why does it use the word, why did Jesus use the word when? Because he expects this, this is going to be a regular part of your spiritual disciplines. Just like giving and just like praying. But when you fast, not if, when you fast, anoint your head 
and wash your face so that your fasting will not be obvious to men, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Will reward you. So I want to start to come to a close this morning by saying that nothing we do for the sake of God's kingdom and his righteousness ever goes without a reward. Nothing. But that's especially true of fasting because Jesus specifically pointed this out. So just take courage. Your fasting will reap a sure reward in time, whether in this life or the life to come. You know, when you begin an exercise or a diet program, you know that you don't see results overnight, right? It's a process. It's going to take some time before you notice the fruits of your labor. And I think that's true of fasting a lot of the time. Sometimes we see really obvious signs of our fasting almost immediately, but sometimes not. Sometimes the, the fruit comes later. That's that sowing and reaping process that's always at work. Sometimes the fruit of your fasting will come later. So don't be discouraged if you don't see some dramatic thing happen during your fast or immediately thereafter. Um, just hold on for a while. Um, the fruit will show itself in time. And sometimes you may not even know in this life how your fast affected you or someone else or directed your destiny. Now, folks, listen, that's a point I really want to emphasize this morning. As I was in prayer before the service this morning, that phrase right there, I just believe God dropped into my spirit, that fasting directs your destiny in ways that you don't even recognize while you're doing it. Fasting directs your, prayer and fasting directs your destiny in ways that you don't recognize while you're doing it or even after you do it. Sometimes the results of your fasting come years later as your life is directed and God maneuvers your life because of the way that you've sought him through prayer and fasting. And if you hadn't been seeking him through prayer and fasting, your life may have taken a completely different trajectory than it did when you began prayer and fasting. I, I need you to get that this morning. Your, the trajectory of your life, the destiny that you have in your life, can sometimes only unfold through prayer and fasting. God has a destiny for each of your lives. And sometimes it can only be realized when we intensely seek God through periodic times of prayer and fasting. I'll end with this example. I have fasted more this year than in any other year prior. You know, I fasted for 12 days to start out this new year like we typically do as a church at the start of every new year. And then after that, I fasted every Monday for most of the rest of the year. So all told, I have fasted this year more than 50 days representing over 130 meals being skipped. And... Look at me. I still have plenty of meat on my bones. You know, I'm not sickly. I'm just as strong and healthy as ever. But here's the bigger benefit. Incidentally, I have had the best year in business that I've ever had in my 28 years doing what I do. Hallelujah. I don't think that's a coincidence. 
And, and this church is doing better than ever as well and not causing me the kind of grief that it used to. You know, I'm really enjoying ministry now, by the way. Praise God. Hallelujah. And God is no respecter of persons, ladies and gentlemen. He wants to lavish his blessings on all of his children. But we have to be positioned for those blessings in order to bear much fruit. We have to position ourselves. And folks, God needs people in these perilous times who he can count on to be fruit bearers. You know, as much as I'm for activism and action, you know me, as much as I'm for activism and action, the truth is that activism and action will only go so far if it's not accompanied by humbling ourselves before God with prayer and fasting. So, can he count on you to carry this mantle in these perilous times? God needs people in these perilous times who will be brave, who will seek him passionately so he can give them a direction for their lives and a strategy to take on these perilous times. And sometimes we'll only find that strategy and find that strength through prayer and fasting. Okay then, on that note, I just want to remind those of you that have been with us for a while and are used to what we do here, um, and also let those of you who are newer to our congregation know that at the start of every new year, we set a 12-day fast to start out the year, one day for each month of the year. And I hope that you'll all join us in that fast. There's no obligation. No one's twisting your arm. You don't have to join us in that fast if you don't want to. But I'm kind of hoping that we'll all have unity and we can all begin seeking the Lord through prayer and fasting with a specific focus this year on our nation. You know, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. Part of humbling yourself is fasting humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, folks, listen, judgment begins with the house of God. If we're not going to begin the process of seeking, who else would do it if the church isn't going to do it? It has to begin with us, ladies and gentlemen. The church is, uh, I should say the, well, the church too, but the, the nation is in the condition it's, it's in partly because God's people have been asleep at the wheel. We have not sought God diligently, intensely through prayer and fasting, and look where we are. Um, I think it was your text last night, Dawn, where you were talking with the Indonesian woman, is that right? And she said, was it her that said, we can't find a church that's not woke? Was it, was it her that said that? Oh, it was some folks that you met on the way down there who said that we can't find a church that's not, that's not woke. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. The world has infiltrated the church rather than the church affecting the culture. There's so many churches that are just like, okay, whatever, fine. I'll just, you know, as long as we can keep our people in the seats, we'll say or do whatever as long as it makes people happy. 
And that's why we're in the condition that we are in as a church culture and as a nation. God needs people like you and me, even if it's only a few folks. He can use a congregation this small to do mighty things if we are united in prayer and fasting. Folks, God, listen, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Imagine what he could do with a united small group of people who are bombarding heaven with prayer and fasting. It'll spread. It'll spread. Hallelujah. So if you wish to participate in that fast, you can do the fast however you want. We're not calling, like Esther did, we're not calling a fast of no food and no water. Um, You can do the fast however you want. If you want to do a a liquid fast, awesome, that's great. But if you want to do a Daniel fast where you eat only vegetables, you can do the fast however you feel led to do it. But I do want to just reiterate that if it's not meaningful to you, it won't be meaningful to God. There's got to be some degree of sacrifice in it or it's not, you might as well not bother. Um, So uh, the point is to teach your body that it's not the boss. So you need to make it sacrificial to a certain degree. So it not, does need to be something that challenges you to some degree so that your spirit is sharpened in the process. So during the holiday season, enjoy your holiday food. <laughs> because this is the season for that. There's a time and a season for everything, Ecclesiastes says. And right now is the season for enjoying your family, enjoying your get-togethers, enjoying your holiday food. But come Monday, January the 3rd, our fast will begin. And by the way, we're going to talk more about this since this is, for some churchgoers, fasting is a completely foreign concept because pastors never talk about it. Never talk about it. As a matter of fact, when we first started talking about fasting, I had people come to me who've been in the faith for years, attended other churches for years, and they had never, I mean, they've been walking with the Lord for decades, and they said, I have never fasted, because they've never heard it talked about as a basic expectation of the Christ follower. So, we're going to talk more about this um, as these few weeks leading up to the fast unfolds. So stay tuned for more thoughts on this subject uh, that will encourage you and strengthen you for that season of fasting and also the book that I recommended by Jensen Franklin on fasting. That's a f- fantastic book and it's not that long. So get that book if you want to learn more about fasting and the various benefits of fasting, but we will be talking more about this. Praise God. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Stand with me. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.